0: Market Correction Strategies. This is Industry Focus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Industry Focus Financials Edition. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining us this week is John Maxfield on the phone. We're officially in market correction territory. Um, The official definition is 10% down from the recent high, and we're down 10.5% as of this morning. Uh, and the first thing I want to say is this is actually great news, especially if you're prepared with a grid strategy, which Mr. Maxfield is ready to inform us about.
1: Yeah, so let me just tell you this, Gabby. As soon as I woke up this morning, and I the first thing I always do is I check the Wall Street Journal. I think the headline article was the Dow is down 1,000 points, which is that's a pretty that's a pretty that's even terrifying. for somebody who's lived through the <laughs> financial crisis and been cognizant of it. That's a pretty that's a pretty large drop, but far from eliciting. Um, Feelings or emotions of fear. For me, at least, uh, it gave it, it elicited feelings of opportunity because, you know, somebody like like me. I've been sitting on the sidelines, seeing stocks go up and up and up and up over the last few months. After I put money into my my SEP IRA um, for last year's to, to reduce last year's taxes, and I just haven't seen a buying opportunity until now. And now I think it's just fantastic. So the question is, not so much. And a lot of our listeners, this is going to be very familiar for them, right? And if you want to be a successful investor, you've got to act counter-cyclically. When stocks go down, that's when you buy. When stocks go up, that's when you sell, or you, just, or you just hold. So this is really the type of thing that people like us wait for. So then the question is, well, then how do you actually execute a buying strategy? Do you just take all of the cash that you have, plus whatever margin that you have, and then just dump it into the stock market? Or is there a better more realistic and reasonable approach to doing that. And that's what I think we should really dig into.
0: Okay. Um, so for a lot of our listeners who are who are long-term investors, which I think most of you are, um, you, you bought the companies because you thought that they were going to succeed in the long term. And selling them now is absolutely crazy because they're not down because they're bad companies. They're down because the whole market is down, not because there's something intrinsically wrong with them.
1: Um, That's exactly right. Like you look at a Johnson and Johnson, a P and G. I mean, these are companies that yes, could they go bankrupt? Yeah, I mean, absolutely any you know company could go bankrupt. A meteor could hit the planet Earth, which would be an unfortunate thing for stocks as well. <laughs> but like the chances of that are, are are pretty small. I mean, these are big. Powerful, extremely well-run, extremely profitable companies that we as individual shareholders can take advantage of by owning them and then get their dividends and also get the stock price appreciation. And over the long term, population is going up, economies grow. It's been like this ever since the beginning of mankind. Why in the world would you ever think that that's going to stop just because stocks are down, even even if they were down, even if they are still down 1,000%? But so just to get down into really the important part of this, and that is the strategy of how you actually go about buying stocks when the market is down this far. It is my opinion that the way you do, and I've done this a few times, I've made mistakes doing this and I've done it right doing this. What you want to do, as opposed to just pouring all your money in at the same exact time, you want to average down into a position. So let's say, I don't know, I'm, I cover banks mainly, so I'm thinking about Bank of America. I'm not going to buy it because I talk about it too much, so I can't get around our disclosure policy. But, uh, but I know its share price really well. So let's say it's trading at 1550 today. Well, let's say it goes down to 1450 tomorrow. Well, today you want to buy, let's say, a third of your available cash that you want to dedicate to that position. Tomorrow you buy another third. Uh, on Wednesday you buy another third. By averaging down, that protects you in case, let's say, the market does continue to go lower. That gives you the opportunity to fall that stock down. And to, to get a lower basis in that stock, as opposed to just buying in today and then seeing tomorrow it goes down another 5% and then you get depressed. Uh, there... It's a horrible feeling. I've been through <laughs> it before, so you wanna avoid that. Are there, are there any potential issues with this strategy? You know, one of the potential issues with the strategy, of course, is that if the market immediately rebounds, right, then you, then you lost your opportunity. But this is all about kind of ring fencing risk. How do you make decisions? While also, you know, to to profit, while also taking into consideration the risk of doing so, you have to balance those two things. And by averaging into positions, that is a great way that you can both take advantage of the fear in the market, but do it in a in a in a responsible way from a risk perspective.
0: Yeah, and I I think something that we also ought to talk about. Is that market corrections? Although they inspire a lot of fear, it, it, it's not like they're abnormal events. They happen all the time. Um, I think someone did the numbers on this, and they say that, that that we average a correction every 357 days. So that's about like
1: one year or so. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you're probably talking about Morgan Housel, who is like he's the Bomb .com right when it comes to, <laughs> to to writers for the Motley Fool. I hope he's listening. Um, <laughs> He has, he has a kid on the way. So, if you are listening, Morgan, good luck on that. That's going, to be a, that's going to be an amazing experience. But one of the things that Morgan showed in his research is that the market has declined by 10% or more on average roughly 11 months. So, even though the market is down ten percent, roughly 10% right now from its recent high, this is a pretty common occurrence.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And honestly, we're saying this with the full knowledge that it's impossible to time a market correction. Um, we were on a super long streak of the market just going up and up and up. It's been a thousand days, I think, since it it's gone down, um which is a really really long time if you think about it.
1: Yeah, this is it's a pretty epic bull market, right? Ever yeah. since the financial crisis, which shouldn't be that surprising because that was the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, but at the same time, stocks can't just go up forever you know, it, forever, right, I mean, at some point they've got to correct and then come come back up again, take an account of what's going on in the real economy and, and all of those things,
0: yeah, and the other thing to think about too is that market corrections don't last forever, right like they'll'll they'll last but like two and a half months on average, I think um but it, it's not going to be like thirty years. I did read an article this morning that said like this is going to be a generational
1: recession (laughs) starting today. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe they're right. I I seriously, seriously doubt it. Um, But you know, the reason that people write headlines like that, Gabby, is because fear elicits people to take actions. And one of the actions that people who write articles want is they want people to click on their articles. So you have to reduce that noise and really focus in on what matters. And that is that, to be a successful investor, there's a couple things you need. Number one is long-term approach. To your point. Number two is, as a general rule, you really want to act counter cyclically When everybody else is scared, that's your opportunity. Yeah.
0: yeah, This is really this is actually a great time. If you're really, really all that nervous, it's a great time just to hold on to what you have. There's no reason to to freak out. Um. So do 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 you want to maybe talk a little bit about? Well, this is all speculation right now, but why we think this is happening?
1: Yeah, I mean. The, the kind of the, the, the consensus story about why this is all happening is that this is all emanating out of Asia and out of China in particular. So China's economy, there's been a lot of concern over the last few years about it overheating and that an eventual recession or or, or, or a decline, a, a large decline in its GDP growth rate. Which, for a company with its living standards and the size of its population and the and the possibility for social agitation, you, you really want as a government you want to avoid that type of situation. So, over the past couple of weeks, China's central bank, to offset what appears to be weaknesses in its, in, its, in its underlying economy, has been lowering the value of the Chinese currency relative to other currencies in the world. And that's really, that's really what ignited all this concern, because that goes against what China's central bank has been doing for over a decade in terms of trying to normalize the yuan's um, value to uh, introduce it to global currency markets in the same way that the u s dollar is used by all of these countries as, as a principal trading currency, so that reversal on the chinese central bank uh, on the Ch- Chinese central bank's part seems to have been the straw that broke the camel 's back if you will
0: can i can I actually ask you about the u s dollar um the federal or the the u s dollar has been really strong the last year or so um, and I understand that the Federal Reserve is trying to to actually weaken the dollar a little bit to help our exports, to help boost up our economy. Does this fit into to China at all?
1: Well, there's this great irony with the U.S. dollar in terms of its strength on the, in the global currency markets. And that is that after the financial crisis, the dollar has been super duper strong. So you think, well, why would the dollar be so strong if the financial crisis was in the United States, if that's really where the heart of it was? And the answer is that there, even if the United States goes through a severe economic downturn. We are still the safest place to keep money in the world, right? So this, the money still floods in here. So what the Federal Reserve has been doing over the last few years is it's been trying to help the economy out, get back to, up to that full employment level, which uh, the Federal Reserve defines as unemployment between 5 and 5.2%. In order to do that, it's been doing a number of different things, but it's lowered interest rates super-duper low. And the other thing it's done is it's gone through three rounds of what's called quantitative easing. And quantitative easing is when the Federal Reserve goes out and buys long-term fixed-income securities on the markets in order to, bring, to increase their price and to thereby bring down their yield. And by bringing down their yield, you're lowering your borrowing costs. Well, one of the other things that these things do and the question is whether or not the Federal Reserve is intending to do this, or this is just a happy consequence, is that when you lower your interest rates so far, and when you do quantitative easing, one of the implications is that presumably you're going to be pushing your currency down. So you have the U.S. presumably trying to push its currency down. and again. I'm, I'm, this is just a presumption, but I, I, think it's a, I think it's a fair thing to presume. So you have the U.S. trying to push its currency down to increase its exports. You have China doing the same thing. And then in Europe, well, Europe is just a basket case right now, right? <laughs> and so you have all of the things going on with the euro. So you have a lot of people are speculating that you have a bit of a currency war going on right now in terms of everybody trying to save themselves um, through that currency mechanism. But because everybody is doing it, it's probably not going to be overly effective.
0: Right. And I mean... There's been a lot of speculation too that the Fed might raise the short-term interest rates by the end of the year. Do you think they still will as a result of all this going on?
1: So it's impossible to predict what the Fed is going to do. At least That's I've never true. been able to, and I've never seen stats on anybody who's able to been, been able to do it do, do it correctly. You know, there's or this accurately. octopus
0: in in like Germany, I think, who was able to pick like the World Cup winners. Maybe we need an octopus for the Fed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's got eight arms. I mean, like, what cannot? If you have eight arms, what can you not do, that's right? And so you could certainly control monetary it's a good policy. Good thing they can't walk on land. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That would be that would be. You could put a big like tank in there, though, and then it could just sit in there and have like maybe eight calculators or something like that. Um, but to to answer your question, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 impossible to predict what the Fed's going to do. However, you know, we've long been assuming that at some point the Fed is going to increase interest rates. Because they're but really low right now, I would, right? Sorry? They're really low right now, which is why we,
0: we can, we're assuming that they're probably going to go up, because they're probably not going to go any lower than they already are.
1: Yeah, short-term, fintre, short, short-term interest rates, and I'm talking about the Fed funds interest rate, and that's the rate that banks lend to each other on an overnight basis, and that's really the key U.S. Uh, interest rate benchmark. That has been nearly 0% since the financial crisis, which is unprecedented in the history of the United States. It, we've seen this over in Japan for, I don't know, what, a decade and a half or two decades, But in the United States, we haven't seen that before. So the question is, at what point will the Fed increase that? Well, the Fed has been saying all along that look, as soon as we see positive signs in the economy, you know, unemployment continuing to go in the right direction, plus inflation moving up to that two percent threshold that they like to see in terms of for a healthy economy, that that's the point at which they would feel comfortable raising rates. But with China's, if if China's economy continues to do what it's doing, and those concerns continue to build, and they're and they're legitimate concerns, I would have a hard time understanding how the Federal Reserve would feel comfortable raising interest rates under the under that circumstances. However, I could be totally wrong on that. So. that's um, right i I mean this whole
0: this whole back half of the episode was entirely speculative just for our listeners out there (laughs) but it's fun speculation so i'm glad you you managed to make it to the end of this podcast um thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next week